Church family, it is my great privilege to introduce our minister this morning. Uh, if you were to ask me as a pastor, said, tell me what energizes you. Tell me what uh, you look forward to. And there are two things. I love preaching and I love mentoring young men in the faith that God's hand is on their life. I didn't say I was qualified to do it. I said, I loved it. It just energizes me. And early on, uh, I've known Jason ever since he was a little boy, but early on in his walk with the Lord, I think it's been a couple years now, where as an adult, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. It was evident. If you had the discernment of a freshwater trout, you know, you could, you could tell that not only God's spirit was in him, but God's hand was on him. And he is very cerebral. Unlike your pastor, he uh, has a very high IQ and uh, he'll, we'll get to talking about the Bible and stuff. And see, what you don't know is every time I wow you, that's something he's told me. And I, I'll get up and I'll say, I was thinking the other day and I'll spout off something. Uh, and I'm saying that to loosen him up because I don't want him to be nervous, but this is his first opportunity on Sunday morning. He's been co-teaching with me on Sunday night and we're not building him up, but the Bible tells us to honor those, okay? Whom honors do. And because he is called, we recognize that office and we just celebrate him today as he brings the word. Is your heart open this morning? Y'all, yeah. this is my friend and my brother, Jason Braddock. So, if you didn't know that I was preaching this morning, I didn't either, until Wednesday morning when Pastor John called me. So I'm coming out of a service call, and I pick up the phone like, oh, my brother, Pastor John, how you doing? We start talking for a few minutes, and they dropped a daisy cutter in my living room. He says, you want to preach Sunday morning? And I was like, is this ringing in my ears, the tinnitus, or did I just get really nervous? So I did what all good Christians do. I said, Pastor, I'm going to pray about that and call you back. <laughs> so I got off the phone and I was immediately filled with a spirit of peace and, and a spirit of confirmation that, that I was to do it. And although I don't feel ready, I lean in the anointing of the Holy Spirit to carry me through this. As I was praying on what to speak on, I had no idea. Pastor John left it completely open. Apologetics, the salvation message, whatever you want to do, wherever you're led. And uh, I felt the Lord just tell me, tell him what I've done for you. Share your story. Tell them what 
only God can do. Only God. If you're taking notes, just write that down. Only God, dot, dot, dot. You can fill that in with your personal story. You can fill that in with some of what I'll share with you today. It is only God. Do not be afraid to stand on that. We're in a culture today where any exclusivity is immoral, it's unjust, and, and we shy away from saying, well, this is the only way because some say it makes us prideful and arrogant. It makes us humble. So, the exclusivity of Christ is not in who it is available to. It is in the path to salvation. And only God can do the things that he does. Only God can restore the way he restores. Only God can heal the way he heals. Only God can justify us and redeem us. Most importantly, it's only through Christ Jesus that we are eternally saved. In Acts 4.12, we're told salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And that is what I mean when I say only God can. <clears throat> so I know this is a little rocky introduction. And I also want to take time to encourage everyone here that's standing in the gap for someone. For the years that I ran away, my mom stood in the gap for me. I know there was frustration, confusion, doubt in that time for her. And if you're going through that for a loved one, I just want to encourage you that God works all things for his glory. So there's my intro. Welcome to Christ Chapel. <clears throat> So this morning I'll be sharing my story with you. I'm going to take a moment to pray for myself. And I ask that you pray for me too. Father, I submit myself to you this morning, Lord. I ask that you'll just use me to share your light and your love. That, my, that your message will come through clear. That you'll anoint me to speak it clearly. And you'll anoint those here to receive it. I love you so much, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So my early childhood started out the way many people that walk in rebellion later, the way they start out. Uh, went to church Sundays and Wednesdays, mornings and evenings. I never really cared for it. Uh, I enjoyed kids' church. You know, I was a child. I liked the puppets and the songs and all of that stuff, but then nap time came and Sunday night with big church, and that's, that's the part I didn't really care for. I like Sunday church, uh, Sunday school, kids' church, things like that. And uh, during this time, you know, we're, we're led to salvation, we're led to Christ, and we say we welcome Jesus into our heart. But I didn't really understand what that meant. You know, I was never secure in my salvation. I felt like 
there was a lot of rules, a lot of things that we had to do to, to be right with God. And if we stepped outside of that, our salvation was on the line. So I, I was just never secure in the fact that I was eternally saved. I, I would look and hear people in, in wonderment when, you know, they would say, well, if you died tonight, where are you going? And they go, I'm going to heaven. I'm like, how do you know that? How are you so sure? You know, I feel like I, there might be something that I haven't done right. And uh, so I didn't understand some very important points. And that kept me derailed for a long time. Uh, I thought it was all works-based. You know, we, if we don't obey these rules, then we, we've sacrificed salvation. I also, at the same time, knew that my flesh was so hungry to experience the world. And I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know how to deal with the fact that I was so heavily tempted by sin, even as a child. Lust of the eye and, and my mind would wander in places that were not healthy. And, and I, would, I wouldn't know how to deal with all of that. So in those times, have I lost salvation? I felt like I could never be sure that I was saved. So I, I was, you know, biblically knowledgeable. I was on the junior Bible quiz team, you know, I did well in that. I knew a lot of Bible, but I didn't, I, there was information and revelation as we've heard Pastor John talk about. I had no revelation in that. I had the information, I could regurgitate it, but it, it hadn't been made real for me. I really hadn't had that revelation. So when I was 12, my parents, they uh, had ended up divorced, as the story goes. And my mom and my sister and I, we moved to Florida. But before the divorce, I saw, and before I go here, I want you to hear my heart. I love my dad. We are good. But Ben, you need to be careful because your kids are watching. They're not confused about the things you're hiding. And they may go way further down that road than you ever did. So the things I saw my dad do was stop coming to church every Sunday. I would find alcohol stashed here and there. We got a computer in the house. AOL came into the home. And then the internet, that just opened a door to unbridled and unrestricted uh, wealth of perversion and temptation and... Although my dad was never an open drunk, that was the road I would take later in life. I would speak against those things with my mom because I knew that was right, but in my heart I knew I couldn't wait to try alcohol, to smoke cigarettes, to get out and experience the world. My dad never condoned that stuff or endorsed it, but I saw it. 
Men, if your father's here today, if you plan on becoming a father, your kids are watching. You're the priest of the home. And they will follow your example, good or bad. I remember watching my dad go to church, kneeling at the altar and praying in tongues. And I wanted to do that. And then I saw other examples. And I wanted to do that. Your children will follow your example. Take that seriously. In my early teens, I stayed part of a youth group, but the lust of my flesh and eyes, they continued to grow. I didn't know how to deal with it, who to talk to. If I, if I go and talk to somebody about this, I'm, I'm a sinner, right? You know, I'm, I'm not who I've, this person I've built myself to be representative in the church. You know, I was like a, a little youth leader. I was involved in a small core group. Uh, I went out and handed out tracts and did sidewalk Sunday school and stuff. And if I admitted weakness in myself or this struggle in myself, then, then I must not be this other person. There has to be one or the other because we read in the Bible where light and dark, they don't exist at the same time. What I failed to understand is that we all have a struggle to walk out. We're all going to be tempted. I was delivered from the power of temptation and sin, but I was not delivered from the pool, and that was never made clear to me. I never understood that. So later, the youth group I was a part of went through some leadership changes. <clears throat> some of the old leadership left the church, and some openly rejected God, just told us, God's not cool anymore. I'm going to live my life like this, and they immediately went into a lifestyle of open rebellion where they engaged in many, many sinful things that they had spoken against. I moved into a new home around this time. I met a young man across the street, and he was not rooted in church. His family wasn't rooted in church. And where I had seen a little alcohol in the cabinet tucked away in my house, or I'd seen my dad smoke some cigarettes, his dad was an open alcoholic. And didn't care if we brought weed home from school, he would smoke it with us. With the youth group falling apart, with me feeling like I was a lukewarm Christian, with, <clears throat> with my understanding of how God feels about lukewarm, I was like, well, I'd rather be cold then, right? I don't want to be spewed out of the mouth. He can just know that I'm going to go do my own thing. Romans chapter 1, it warns us. And I'll make, I'm going to paraphrase this and make it a little more personal. In verse 21, For although I knew God, I neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. My thinking became futile. My foolish heart was darkened. Although I claimed to be wise, I was merely a fool. When I really started to rebel and walk away and quit going to church, my mind was so dark, I was so lost, and my mind, it was turned over. God had turned me over. I told him I wanted to walk away, and 
He watched me walk. He let me. God will protect your decision to damn your soul to hell if that's your decision. I was so lost and with such a depraved mind that the first time I smoked weed, I tore the note page out of the back of my Bible to roll it. Continuing in Romans 1, again, I'll make this personal. Verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over. God gave me over to my depraved mind so that I would do what ought not to be done. I had become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. I was full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. I was a gossip, a slanderer, a God-hater. That's strong right there, God-hater. But if we're honest, when we're in open rebellion to God, that's where I was. I was insolent, arrogant, and boastful. I invented ways of doing evil. I disobeyed my parents. I had no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. Although I knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, I not only continued to do these things, I approved of those that did them, I surrounded myself with those that did them, and I encouraged others to do these things. There was a certain level of innocence that I would respect, like there was some like shred of goodness I could hold to in my own mind during this time. If somebody was walking a path that I knew where they were, they were committed to God, I wouldn't try to derail that. But if you put yourself on the fence, buddy, I'm right there to knock you off. You're going to come on this side. If you've wandered to the fence, I'm going to get you over here. So... My rebellion continued. Late teens through early 20s, I tried most every drug and drink. I lost myself and my innocence in a parade of sexual sin and perversion. When I was about 19 or 20, I had an overdose scare. I, uh, I was fairly confident I was going to die that night. I... Went home to where my mom was, my mom's house, and I walked in, and I told her, I was like, I told her what I'd been doing, and I told her I'm, I might die tonight. She was shocked. I was good at hiding the things I'd been doing for so many years. And I knew I should respect my mom and respect her house. So I kept most of it out of the house. And I did things that I'd come home and go to my room and lock myself in and go to sleep when I felt like I couldn't be around her. I deceived her for years. She was shocked. I laid on the couch for the next three weeks, quit my job. She had people praying for me. <clears throat> You'd think that'd be enough to wake me up. 
I made a promise to God that night. If I lived through the night, I'd never touch that drug again. And for many years, I stopped using drugs altogether, but I got into drinking. <laughs> so that was, I was like, it's okay if I drink, because I only promised I wouldn't do the drugs. Well, that was stupid. And years later, I broke that promise. There's no reason I should be alive. During my time in the world, I found that there are many that will betray you, they'll hurt you, undermine you, they'll do anything in their power, not only to hold you back, but to make sure that you become so buried in guilt and sin and shame that you convince yourself that there's no salvation for you. And despite all of this, I became so confident in my own ability to provide for myself, to overcome in my own strength any financial losses I suffered, I could hustle and recover. I was strong. I was determined. I could work two or three jobs if I had to. I could succeed without help or handouts. I was independent. I could... I got so full of myself that I knew that I could handle any problem that came my way. I'd been knocked off my block so many times that there's no way you can floor me and keep me down. I could navigate this world without the help of anyone. We're so good at lying to ourselves. Things I did out of self-preservation, but what was I preserving? I was becoming dead inside. <clears throat> when I was about 21, I returned to church for a couple months. And during this time, without the revelation that God's grace was sufficient, the devil was able to convince me that I was not good enough. He was right. We're not good enough. Grace is a free gift to us. It is scandalous that we can receive it. It's against all odds that I can stand here and talk to you this morning. I, could, I convinced myself or I accepted the idea that, that I couldn't be saved. Because I always wanted to sin. If I'm truly sanctified, I shouldn't be tempted any longer, right? So all these burning lusts are evidence that I'm not saved. Sin isn't why we are damned to hell. Sin is the evidence of your heart in rebellion or the lack of revelation to receive the salvation that is there for you. I didn't understand that. This was the one thing I couldn't earn. I couldn't work enough jobs. I couldn't recover enough losses. I couldn't be kind enough. There was no way for me to make up for these deeds in my past. I couldn't earn salvation. And I, I was at a loss. One day I ended up in a bar and I didn't go back to church again.
I bought into so many lies. There was <laughs> no biblical training in my life. I, when I would go to church, I would never read the Bible. I would never dig for myself. I would, I would rely on spoon-fed messages on Sunday morning and, and say, I'm going to fix this because I've heard that. I'm going to refuse to do this anymore, and I'm going to refuse to do that anymore. And when I would stumble, it was evidence that I, that I was still lost in the world. If I had taken the time at that point in my life to get in the Word and read for myself, the story might have changed here. But I didn't. I was bored in the Bible. I would open the Bible and decide what I would read based on how long the chapters were. I didn't pray for guidance in my studies. I would read, begin to read, become anxious, brush through it, shut my Bible, and I did my good Christian thing today. I've read my Bible. I'm in the Word. I'm doing the right things. I'm going to, you know, I'm sanctified. I won't be tempted any longer. When I was 23 years old, I decided to join the United States Marine Corps. I thought if I can get away from all these people I party with, if the only person I know in the room is God, I'll get real with them. If I put myself in a hard enough situation and the only person I can rely on is God, maybe, maybe I'll get right. And I didn't have health insurance, so I figured out, you know. <laughs> I was so wrong. As soon as I got to boot camp, I made some friends. It wasn't hard. We were the only people we could talk to. <laughs> During my years in the Marine Corps was when my alcoholism really raged. We couldn't do drugs unless we were hurt. I was a combat en engineer and our op tempo was really high. I did three deployments and four years active. If we got hurt, they'd throw us a handful of Percocets and put us back out. That led down a dark road. The thing I didn't understand was the problem wasn't my environment. It was never my environment. It was my heart. That's where the problem was. I thought if I get away from these people... If I move from here to here, if I close in my circle, I'll be able to get real with God. I was still trying to do it in my own strength, in my own understanding, in my own capacity. My rebellious heart destroyed me every time I tried to do it in my own strength. In Jeremiah 17, 9, we see that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So listening to my heart and the lies that it told me, I say, well, it's not, it's not me. It's not my problem. It's all the people I'm around. That was not the problem. <laughs> I was the problem, but I, was, I had too much pride to admit that I was the problem because I had such an inflated view of myself. I was a good person. I'd work hard. I would do whatever I could to take care of my friends. 
while I was in the Marine Corps, I was deployed three times. I was exposed to combat. I married outside of God's will. I was doing everything outside of God's will. When I was released from active duty, I returned to Macon, Georgia. My mind was in a dark place, very dark. I began to question the truths that I knew were foundational truths. I'd never doubted these truths before. One thing I was convinced of when I was raised in church is that the Bible was true, that Jesus was the only way and that God is the one true God. I knew I wasn't living right, but I knew that was the only way home. I began to question these truths. Driving, that was the worst for me, driving when I was alone. I would begin to wander in my mind. It, is any of it real? Or is all of it just something we use to cope with the fact that we're so horrible to one another? That we can be so violent and vile? I felt like I was losing my grip on reality. It was scary. It was sober. Because even in the midst of these attacks, this question, I was like, there's going to become a point where I'm so doubtful that there would be no redemption. God will reach out to me, and I'll refuse him so much that my soul will be seared. And that was sobering. I was afraid. I had no idea how to change. My, my first marriage had began to fall apart. I moved to New York City in an effort to save it. I was not a great husband. The marriage was not good. <laughs> uh, I was emotionally unavailable. I was hiding substance abuse. I was drinking all the time. Not like I'll have a drink with dinner, like five-day hangover. I remember sitting in the bathroom of the apartment I lived in in New York City 
high and drunk in the middle of the night, Googling. This is how depraved your mind will get. You will be lost. <laughs> I, I Googled, why do I hate myself? The internet gives a platform to people that should never have a platform. <laughs> Do not Google that in moments of desperation. <laughs> that is a horrible idea. You'll just get mad at them. You're like, you're such a Sally. Put your purse down. <laughs> like, I got problems right now. I really hate myself. <laughs> When there was no longer any hope of salvaging the relationship, I left New York City and I returned to Macon, Georgia. At 30 years old, as a Marine combat veteran who had owned his own home, who had lived, had been all over the world, I had very few personal belongings. I lost basically everything. What would fit in the trunk of the car is what I had. And I moved back in with my mom. I was like, you know, no big deal. Rock bottom, people betrayed me, beat me down, put me on the bottom. I've been here before. I'll turn this around. I had 35, over $35,000 in unsecured credit card debt. I didn't own my vehicle. I, I had nothing. I was... I just looked at it like, well, you know, we'll recover. No big deal. Always have. I can count on me. And that's, that's it. And before I moved back to Macon, I met a beautiful woman. Her name is Amanda. <laughs> She's my wife today. We were brought together as part of God's plan. I married her inside and moving according to the will of God. I couldn't be happier. He has restored me and he is, I'm getting ahead of myself, but. Woo! So I began to work several jobs to pay the bills down as fast as possible. I. I'm like, you know, I'm so diverse. I can work construction in the day, wait tables at night. I'm the man. I'm going to pay this stuff down, no problem. Me and Amanda kept talking. She came and visited me. It wasn't long after that. I drove. I flew up to New York and picked her up and drove her down. We've been together for the last five years. And God has moved in our life in ways that you would not believe. You would if you know that God, only God can. So despite all the odds and my feelings, when I left New York, I was convinced that I would never, ever have another serious relationship with a woman ever again. I was like, that's it. I've been used to the fullest. That's not going to happen again. Flew through this a little faster than I anticipated. <laughs> 
we might have to bring Beth and Lance back up for some praise and worship to close this guy out. So two years later, I hadn't used the credit card for anything. I had the best job as far as pay and benefits are concerned that I had since I had left active duty. I was in a relationship with the most beautiful woman I'd ever met. Everything was going my way. But my spirit was dead. I could not understand why despite being situated better than I had been in the previous decade as far as my job, my relationship, why do I feel so mentally lost and dark? Why do I feel depressed? You know, depression is for people where life's not working out, right? And, and life's going the right way right now. I should not be depressed. I shouldn't be experiencing these feelings. But I was. I felt like when I would get alone in the truck to drive places, I would become lost in the darkest labyrinth of my mind. And that was more confusing because I'm very logical and linear in thinking. I'm like, well, if the formula says you got a good job, you got a good woman, you're pay you haven't used a credit card, you're paying down debt, you're moving in the right direction. You know, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Why, why do I got D squared over here? Why am I depressed? And one day, as I was driving to Warner Robins to pick up my beautiful wife, because they teach you how to drive everywhere but New York City, that is not something you pick up living there. <laughs> so I was driving down there to pick her up, and I just, I cried out to God. So what can I do here? Why is this like this? So I need your help, God. I'm dying here. In my mind's eye, I saw myself in like this sludge pit, this tar pit that was active. It would jump and cover me. I was like, God, and I saw two hands bathed in light reaching down towards me. In desperation, I reached out and grabbed the hands, and I'm being pulled up, and the tar is falling off. And I look at, I'm looking, and I said, but wait, God, we've tried this before. I can't do it. 
I let go of the hands. I crossed my arms over my chest. I said, you can't save me, man. I've tried. It doesn't work. And I just stared with a feeling of hurt and desperation as I sunk back down into this tar. The sin that was killing me. That was a very sobering experience. God's message came through loud and clear. He was letting me know that the last exit was coming up. If I did not get off the road to destruction that I've been living on, I was going to die in my sins. With so many failed attempts behind me, I was how am I going to do this? What do I do? I had no idea. I felt incapable of walking a life that was narrow. I felt incapable of living a God-honoring life. But all I knew to do was turn around and start walking that way. So I picked Amanda up that night. I said, we have to go to church this Sunday. And she said, okay. She was supportive. She said, you know, I feel like that would be good for you. So in January of 2016, me and my wife pulled into the parking lot here. And we walked into the sanctuary here. Timidly, un unsure, I was, I was like, what am I going to do? <laughs> is, is the roof still on this place? We came in and we sat down and praise and worship went and I stood there and I was like, I'm numb, God. They were singing a song that at the time I was like, man, this is repetitive. I later really loved the song. But during that one song, I was like, I get it. We've covered this one. Let's roll on. Pastor John was starting a series on the four things that are exceedingly wise, the ant, the coney, the locust, and the spider. I sat there, I listened to the message, and my heart was racing the whole time. I was like, there's going to be an altar call, and this is the part where I fight God. This is the part where he calls me home, says, son, come home. And I say, God, I can't. And I stay in my seat, and my heart races. And then John dismissed the service, and I was like, whoo! We're out of here, no altar call today. That week, I was like, God, how, how can I do this? I can't do this. 
So that's what the devil will do. He'll use a truth to kill you. I couldn't do it. God already knew that. I just, I had to realize that. There was nothing I could do to earn my salvation. I couldn't do it in my own strength. This is the one time in my life, no matter how hard I try, no matter how dedicated I am, my own strength is insufficient. I was, I was scared. I was like, God, I'm going to fail again. I can't put my hand to the plow and turn around. I can't be lukewarm. Over the next few weeks, there was no altar call. Then it became, I was like, there's going to be an altar call soon. I walked in here one morning, I was like, there's an altar call today, I'm going to knock somebody over to get to the altar, I'm ready. That was the first Sunday that I was here, there was an altar call. I flew out of my seat, and I came down and I wept. I still didn't understand, I still had no idea how I was going to walk this out. All I knew is that I had to come here to the altar and surrender it to God. That's what I, that I did know. The rest I had no idea. So I began a familiar dance where I'm coming to church and I'm trying to get closer to God, but I have no security in my salvation. And one day during praise and worship, I'm praying. I didn't know any of the songs. You know, I was like, y'all don't change it all up on me in the last 15 years. (laughs) So I couldn't sing with any of the music. I just raised my hands and pray. I was like, God, I'm stuck here. Why don't I feel like I'm going to come to heaven to spend my life with you for eternity? And there in that moment, I got got just like a promise. God just dropped it on me. He's like, you're coming to heaven and your wife is too. And from that moment on, I've been eternally secure in my salvation. This is what I've been waiting to tell you all morning. This is what I was missing the whole time. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And you don't have to feel worthy because you're not. You'll never feel worthy. That's a truth the devil will use to keep you away from your relationship with God and his plan for your life. It's not by works. So no one can boast. I might not have been a very boastful person on the outside, but all the things that I had accomplished in my life, I knew it inside. I knew what I had done, what I had been through, what I had survived, and what I had overcome in my own strength. Salvation doesn't work that way. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So my message to you this morning is this. Only God can. In my story, only God could restore me. Only God could heal me. Only God could justify me. Only God could redeem me. And only through Christ Jesus could I receive salvation. It is only God Don't be afraid of that when the world's trying to push back and tell you there's other ways. There's no other way. 
I tried it all. You can be the most elite Marine. You can be high speed, low drag, combat, ready. You can be well studied. You can go to a university and maintain a 4.0, working yourself to death in the library 100 hours a week. You cannot earn your salvation. It is a gift. None of us are worthy. Grace is a scandal. If Paul says that his righteousness is as a filthy rag, then mine is like got lost in the oil when they were doing the change. Like nobody's seen that rag. I want to, we're going to play a song here. And if there's anyone here today that just wants to get back where they've been with God, if they want to come home, if you just want to come spend time with God, uh, the altar is open. And uh, after this song is some prayer, I'll have Pastor John close us in prayer. So if uh, y'all can kick that. That'd be great. It's time.
I know that we as, y'all on the altar, just stay here. We're going to, I want to talk to you just one moment. We're going to pray. Those in the sanctuary, if you would stand with us. Josh, if you'd play that CD for me. I know that you're aware of the gift that you've been given this morning. When a man ministers his story, and Jason is quite the teacher, you'll, you'll get to hear the, the teaching and the doctrines and the apologetics, but there was more caught than taught today. 
Anybody else? And, and not looking for hype or amens, but like, Lord, I remember when I felt that. I remember when I, my gratitude, my, sometimes it's evil, but sometimes it's just because iniquity abounds, the love of many of us grow cold. And I want to reiterate one thing. And by the way, Jason, your story is our story. It might be on steroids, but it was our story. And I just want to make one appeal. Maybe it's not just for you, but it's for Jason to see too. Is there anybody that didn't come forward that these two words, if you looked it up in the dictionary, your picture would be here. Rescue me, oh God. If that's you, with every eye open, this is the Lord saying in the tar pit, these hands are available for you today. And if I can do it for Jason, and if I can do it for John, and I can do it for you, I'll do this for you. If that is your, in your heart, even if you've not prayed it, this is it. Come on, where are you? Where's the person that God scheduled for you to hear, not Pastor John, but Jason Braddock tell you the story of God's rescuing power? If that's you, come on, where are you? Come on. I can't do it, exactly. God bless you, sir. <laughs> Jason, just come pray with us. Anybody else? If that's in your heart this morning, rescue me, Lord. Rescue me. Well, while they pray, I want to encourage you and then I want us to pray for us. There's none you can add, but, you know, preachers add, you know. I just want to remind you that it's not on, only God can save but he saves. Only God can heal and he heals. Only God can give you a turnaround and turn you around. Oh, I wish. See, nothing inspires me like hearing somebody preach. I'm ready for you to sit down so I can preach. But I want to tell you, I am the poster boy for restoration. Only God can restore and restores. Only God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think, according to the power that already worketh in you. It's not under the hands of some shaking evangelist. It's not under some television preacher. That grace that redeemed you, keeps you, heals you, restores you, sanctifies you, frees you, liberates you, puts you in your right mind. God's grace. Becca, God's grace, God's grace, grace that's greater than your sins. It's greater than your idiosyncrasies. It's greater than your insecurities. It's greater than your history. It's greater than your heritage. It's greater. Well, you don't know, greater, greater. There was a man who lived in the tombs and they couldn't, chains couldn't even hold him. And he lived naked in dead places. He lived in a cemetery, an island cemetery. He lived amongst dead things, totally naked, unashamed, 
and would stare at the moon and cut himself with rocks and scream like an animal. And Jesus went and visited him. And he ran to Jesus. The man in him ran to Jesus. But the demons in him that were driving him to destruction said, what have we to do with you? Son of God, have you come to torment us before the time? And he said, stop it. Hush. What is your name? And he said, well, Legion, for we are me. The man's name wasn't Legion. The demons that lived inside of this man. Most commentators agree that the term legion at that day and time meant 5,000. So just if it meant that, that meant that demons said to Jesus, there are 5,000 of us living inside of this man. He said, not anymore. And with one word, cast them into a, a, a herd of pigs and ran them down a hill and, you know, just freed him. And the next time you see legion, He's clothed and in his right mind. That, that's the thing I want you to see. Everybody doesn't have the horrible past, but everybody has the glorious present. Everyone has the story. Can you imagine seeing Legion and you go, hey, you're, you're that naked guy that was could break chains and how about that isn't that something let me tell you about Jesus one one he's the best and one guy came up to Christ and said this is what I thought about Jason when I heard you this morning and I'm closing I promise this is what I thought about he said Jesus can I just go with you he said no 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 you go home and tell them what wonderful things I've done for you. And so, Jason, this morning, we got your story, man. And only God can save people like us. God, we bless, saints, let's just bless the Lord. God, we bless your great name. Redeemer. Healer. Lover of our soul, just bow your heads with me. Father, we honor you today. And for that person that's feeling today, all this is good and well. And I really am happy for Jason. But I don't feel God is near. I, do, I don't feel him. Well, he feels you. And he's near you. And even if you can't see him, he sees you. And his plans and intentions will happen in your life. Only God can do it. Only God can break the addictions and the strongholds. Lord, take us all back to that place of tenderness and awareness and gratitude. Oh God, we just are grateful for today and for what you've done in Jason's life. I know I speak for everyone here. We might not have the tragedies going on right now. But Lord, if you can do that for him, my problems are nothing. <laughs> Blessed be your great name. I don't think that phrase, Lord, will ever be the same for me. Only God. Nobody else. We love you today. We honor you today, Lord. 
prick our heart to consecrate ourselves to you fully. Make yourself more real to us and cause us to open our mouth and tell others the wonderful things Jesus has done for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.